Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Live Natural, Live Well. This is your host, Heather Lounsbury. In just a moment, I'm going to be bringing on my wonderful guest today, David de Rothschild. He's an environmentalist, adventurer, explorer, author, and he has this great new project called The Lost Explorer. So I'm excited to hear more about it and let my listeners know how to find him and what goodies they can purchase on his latest website. If you have any questions about my services, please contact my office at info at livenaturallivewell.com. You can check out what I do as an acupuncturist, herbalist, nutritionist, and author also on my website livenaturallivewell.com and I do phone consultations all over the world so definitely be in touch if you want help with your health and my book is called Fix Your Mood with Food so let me go ahead and bring David on good morning David good morning how you doing Heather great and yourself no complaints no complaints it's a beautiful day here in California. The, oh, good. I was I was just going to ask how the air is now. Um, you know, the air's definitely um, it's uh, it's clearing up in in sort of um, in in sort of more downtown area. Obviously, further north, the fires are still raging. The Thomas Fire is still um, going through um, both Padres and and connecting all down the coast there, all the way through Montecito and towards Santa Barbara, which is. No, it's been on a, I think it's about 200 and, I think last I checked, 250,000 acres burnt, um, but not much containment. So it's um, it's obviously causing a lot of problems with air quality. Um, and it's funny, I think it's something, it takes something like that, like a, a, you know, some sort of big event for us to start to recognize and and look at the, um, what I call this, the unseen. You know, we always push nature into the background, the air we breathe, the food we eat, the the um, you know the water we have access to, all those things we kind of generally, I think, sort of make them invisible. Um, and it's only when there's a, a fire or a flood or a story about loss or something quite big that we start to you know or, uh, you know the ground's being poisoned or the water supplies poisoned do we start to kind of connect to the dots with all these different things and um, you know and, and and it's kind of sad to me that that's the only time that we often pay attention to these things. Um, but you know, I guess that's that's the that's the nature of being, uh, you know, a, a, mo- a modern human, <laughs> as it were. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, always so, a tragedy. Same yeah. with paying attention to your health. Either yourself or a loved yeah. one um, yeah. gets sick, and then it wakes people up. Yeah, exactly. too late, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but I, you know, the, the air quality is getting better. I mean, I, I think LA in general doesn't have a particularly good. Um, reputation for air quality, um, obviously, because everybody is driving around. Um, I happen to be very close to the ocean, so we get a lot of breeze coming, which actually sort of helps um, a lot. And, and you know, when you're close to the ocean, I think it gives you recharges you anyway. Um, you know, it's got a very positive effect. But um, yeah, it's nice to be nice to be here. Good. Yeah, you've been in LA for a while now, right? Um, on and off, yeah. I've been, um, I sort of been. I'm on the road a lot. Um, I'm still over in in Europe quite a lot. Um, 
and obviously on expeditions and travel and and for work and and uh, projects I'm I'm doing and um you know getting lost basically most of the time and then and then <laughs> back here is uh you know it's, it's always nice to come home to somewhere where you have um you know your uh, your little bits and pieces and mainly I, I consider it where my cats and dogs are so that's a, a cat and a dog um and that's that's kind of home you know when you're familiar with them oh I didn't. I knew. I think I knew you had a dog. I didn't really enjoy the cat, but they're always very grounding. Yeah, the the cat. The cat is the cat is the boss for sure. You know, the cat is <laughs> definitely the one who rules rules the roost. Um, you know, and uh, I think it's quite. Uh, watching the characters are very very funny. I mean, dogs are. You know, everyone says it's a dog's life, but I realise it's actually a cat's life. Um, that should have been the phrase because I think with cats, there's very um, there's no expectation. Like if if, if if you know the dogs, it's all like. You know, they have to perform in a way. They run, you know, wag their tail and run over, and you know, and, and it's all like, hey, I'm over here, and and, and everyone sort of expecting that, and you know, and, and, you know, come on, and sort of, and if the dog doesn't, it's like, oh, what's wrong with the dog? Whereas with the cat, if the cat comes over, it's like, oh my god, the cat chose me. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's a totally different vibe. But like, it chose me. Wow, must be my energy. You know, and and when the cat doesn't want you anymore, it just walks off. You know. I guess in a way you could probably say, you know, cats are a bit like women and, and dogs are a bit like men. We're very excitable and, easy, you know, <laughs> throw us a bone and we'll, we'll, we'll sit down and wag our tail. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> there you oh, go. That's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, whereas, uh, and so women are much more material and, and uh, yeah, exactly. We are. Um, it's funny you say that because I'm going to go off topic and then we'll get into all the stuff you're up to, but... Um, there's a couple of cats on my street. They're outdoor and they both ignore me and one paid attention to me like three days in a row. And I was so excited. And then he completely started ignoring me again. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, know, that, that romance is over. Yeah. Over. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but, um, I think they are very grounding and I think what, you know, the, the, the thing that I, I think, um, you know, that I, when I think about, um, you know, cats and dogs is that they really teach you to be very present. Um, you know, they really are very, very, um, you know, I mean, especially with the dog, it's one of those things, you know, as we, as we grow older, we start to forget our, you know, our curiosity and our, and our childlike demeanor, you know, that we have, and that's learned out of us, you know, whether it's ego gets in the way or whether we take ourselves too seriously, or we just forget that actually we can still grow old, but remain immature as Albert Einstein said, you know, and, with cats and dogs, I and mean, my cat's 15, and she'll be running around chasing a feather and playing and rolling around on the floor, or my dog will play and, you know, and, and keeps you very, very kind of grounded and present. And I think there's something quite nice about getting on the floor and rolling around with your dog and playing with your dog and, you know, sort of, you know, whether it's throwing something for him or hiding something for him and, and getting back into that childlike state where you are just very present with that, that moment. And I think it's a really... I know for me anyway, I think that's a really um, important part of, of well-being is allowing yourself to not try and trace too far ahead and not think too far in the past and, and let yourself be in the moment. And I think animals exemplify that, um, which is interesting because, you know, we have the power of foresight, right? I mean, it's one of the things that, um, you know, separates us from all other animals as far as we know, right? I mean, we yeah. have the capacity to think much further ahead and plan for the future, um, and it's the one thing that we actually, you know, it's a very powerful, um, you know, tool, but we don't use it at all. 
and and you know we, we you know we look at the planet right now. We know what's happening. We know on this trajectory, but yet we don't we don't use the tools we have available to stop it. We we're only very reactionary when things happen. Back to what you said in the beginning, we take our health for granted until something happens, and then we deal with it, even though we know that our bodies are in a, in a perpetual state of decline as we get older. Things slow down. Our bodies are more exposed to toxins as the world gets dirtier, and you know all these things. We know these things, but we somehow don't ever project it back to us we sort of go it may not happen to me or uh, i'm fine or you know and and i think for all the power force that we have um you know which is meant to be a powerful tool we, we, we don't use it and we don't do enough of looking at the present and actually connecting ourselves to what's around us um you know so i think we can learn a lot from from animals in that regard and and how they um you know they stay very very present and and focused on the now yeah, I wish I could do more of that, but that makes me um, think of what's going on in the U.S. with the environmental movement, and we're moving forward and going backwards at the same time. And I've been gone for three years now, so I've been sort of watching it for, from afar. But what, how are you feeling about being in the, the States right now with what's going on in the news? And I think, um, you know, I mean, I, I think that there is um, obviously a lot of um, uncertainty in the air around what's what's going to happen what's next you know um it seems that there's a a a sort of a daily assault on um you know all 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 ways of life and all ways of being and i think that um you know we as creatures are very um we gravitate towards stability you know and i was saying this to someone the other day i mean you know from a geological standpoint humans have only been here a very short period of time i mean a blink of an eye um, and one thing that we've had traditionally is stability, you know, from a, especially from an environmental standpoint. And that stability has allowed us to prosper, you know, some would say too well. And that we have now in an era, in an age, I think, of instability. So I would say instability in terms of mass movement of people, instability in terms of of um, the environment and the kind of things that we're going to start to see happening more often. Fires are going to become the new norm in places that were hot are going to get hotter and places that, uh, um, you know, that didn't normally flood will flood and places that, um, you know, didn't normally get snow may get snow and some that, you know, always got snow get no snow. And so instability is, is, is kind of, I think one of the things that we have to start to learn to adapt to. And then we get this wild card, obviously, that comes in, which is, you know, the, the political force that happens to, you know, instigate more instability, um, and that, and that then is, is something that I think creates, um, you know, a lot of, um, on one side it creates a lot of, I think, stress and strain, um, you know, on systems and people. And I think a lot of that people don't necessarily see. It's an unconscious stress. I mean, if you think about our bodies, they're made up of water pretty much. If you look under a microscope, everything is vibrating. And, you know, we are creatures of vibration. And so when you look at the kind of vibrations that are coming at us on all sides, some of them are conscious and some of them are unconscious. Some of them come from, you know, the news we read, the relationships we're in, the food we eat, um, you know, the engagements that we have on a daily basis. It might be our commute, it may be our, um, you know, something that we, um, you know, see. Um, those, you know, bombard us. And, and then on the other side, we have the unconscious stuff that we don't see, which is energy coming off things. And it might be something like Wi-Fi, right? And, and the bombardment of, you know, Wi-Fi in our lives or power lines 
or sound that we don't recognize, but it's constantly there, the hum of a city or the hum of an, a work environment that's bombarding us. And those waves, you know, constantly, um, you know, hit us and, and they end up basically, you know, storing in our body. And, 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 in, and if we don't have an outlet for them, then they start to manifest as stress and that stress then manifests in different ways. If it's in your gut, you know, you may end up having, you know, bad indigestion or if it's in your, um, you know, in your skin, you may end up having the, the stress response as a rash. And, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of people, I think, feeling overwhelmed by the instability and these vibrations that are coming at us. And, and I think they, um, they are, you know, you see a lot of people starting to not, you know, know how to express their feelings and not knowing where to turn because we've eradicated a lot of community in, 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 in society. So there's not a lot of places where people can, can share and, and talk about these things. So we're seeing a lot of, I guess in some way, so that there's a, there's a real interesting thing starting to happen. People are starting to feel disconnected, overwhelmed, um, and, and sort of quite stressed out about what's happening. And then on the other side, there's always the yin and the yang, and there's always the other end of the spectrum. I, I, I do feel that whenever there's cracks in, in the norm or in society or in, in a system, you know, obviously, there's, it's like if you walk down the street and you see a crack in the sidewalk, you'll start to see, um, you know, new growth, green shoots. And I think there are now, um, the other side is that there are people starting to form community and starting to help people gravitate towards a place where they can belong in a safe environment to things that are meaningful. Um, and I think that we are seeing a lot of positive things. I mean, I know, for example, when America pulled out of, you know, the, the climate agreement, there was, you know, a huge uproar. And there was a lot of people who were like, oh, my God, what do you think? This is the worst thing ever. And in a funny way, I, I kind of went, well, actually, maybe, I, maybe it's not the worst thing. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, the COP agreement was, you know, something that took 25 years to negotiate basically how much we can continue to be, you know, burn dirty fuels and be greedy. That's the process, right? Are we, are we polluting? Do we all agree with polluting? Yeah, 25 years it took us to get there. I mean, come on, humans. Great. Well done. Not binding, but a lot of good people felt that, yeah, this is binding. This was a big stepping stone, and it is. It's a milestone, definitely a milestone. But by American pulling out or by, you know, the Trump administration pulling out, actually what it did was it motivated a lot of people. They went, well, I'm going to do something about this. And, and actually that hands-on grassroots kind of motivation is sometimes needed. And in a, in a funny way, um, I have to say Trump might end up becoming the unexpected environmentalist without even knowing it against his own begrudgedness. I mean, you know, because by doing these incredibly, I think, damaging and uneducated um, moves, taking these, you know, these, doing these things that are just ripping apart um, systems that were put in place to protect nature, which, by the way, is us. Um, we are nature, so if we damage nature, we damage ourselves. Then, right. you know, we start to see people going, getting more motivated. And so, in a way, I see there's, there's, there's definitely a tendency on one side for a lot of despair, but there's also a lot of hope and a lot of people who are highly charged, like never before, to try and get on and actually make an impact and counter some of the stupidity that seems to flow out of, you know, basically what I can only describe as our greed and our desire to continue just to consume more than we need. Yeah, it's definitely, it gives me hope. I mean, there's obviously days the news depresses me when in any aspect of the environment or business or politics or what's going on with the whole um, resistance and Me Too movements. Um, but I think it, there's this nice shift happening, like just the, um, I've seen it because I 
for example, I went vegetarian in 1985 and I was considered this weirdo and now I'm vegan. Now vegan is like the hot topic and like that shift that people are at least open to even eating vegan meals at all makes me really excited yeah. for the future. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, you know, we, 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 like I said, I think we're creatures of habit, so we don't like to let go of systems that we um, feel comfortable with. And, you know, we've always been told that we should eat a lot of animal based proteins, you know, and I always hear people telling me, you know, Oh, you should eat lots, you know, how, you know, you're a big guy. What, what, how do you survive, you know, on vegetables? And I'm like, well, you know, at the end of the day, plant power, you know, there's a lot of, there's way more nutrition that you can draw down from plants than you would ever imagine. And actually a friend of mine at the moment is in the middle of making a film all about some of the, um, like strongest, fastest athletes in the world. And they're all vegetarian, you know, and they're all vegan, actually, I should say. Um, yeah. Which it goes, which defies our, you know, our, our sort of understanding. And I think what's exciting is that we are, and it defies our understanding because we've only been fed a message one way. And I was going to say what's exciting is because we now have the opportunity to distribute our messages through many different mediums, that we can all become information centers and we can find that information that we didn't readily have available to us before. And a lot of the information we had before was slanted towards a commercial game for one organization or company or group or whatever that wanted us to think that we have to have a cup of milk every day to get our calcium. That's not true. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 actually, <laughs> right, the it's, you know, it's the opposite. Right. And, and, and we're the only mammal that continues to drink milk past suckling. You know, it's like they say it's so good for our bones. And why, are, you know, if, a, if, a, if a, the mother continued to feed her calf just milk, you know, they think cows getting osteoporosis. I mean, if, if calcium was so high, if milk was so high in calcium, why did they add it to all the cereals? You know, you, or, or to milk, you go into the supermarket, it's fortified with calcium. It's because there yeah. is no, they're, they're stripping all the calcium out, you know? Um, and, and actually you can get more calcium from your leafy dark greens than anything else. And, but we didn't know that or didn't have access to that information. And now we do. That's exciting because we can now make more informed decisions to live, you know, a different way. And I think the, what was, as you said, the fringe is now becoming a community that's undeniable and something that we can all, um, you know, be part of and, and not feel that, oh, I have to go out there to find what I need in here. But actually it's out there is in all of us. And I think all those kind of things that you can do to change your lifestyle and learn new ways of thinking about and seeing the world and looking through the world through new eyes, new lenses is, is, is so important, especially now. Absolutely. Well, that's a great segue into your, your latest project, The Lost Explorer, if you want to share with my listeners more about what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it started out, I mean, I've been doing expeditions and adventures for the last, um, you know, God, now 15 or 16 years. Um, I'm just aging myself. And, um, you know, I've been really always interested in, in this idea that you could, again, find community, find the space that you could... Um, live within and the Lost Explorer was really set up initially as a kind of an idea of like how could we create like a modern outfitter for the curious you know and what I mean by that was mm-hmm. you know the place where when you used to go on an adventure you would go to a place and someone would be there and you could find maps and provisions and you could find you know people to join your expeditions and you could find clothes and you could find you know information you could outfit yourself and they would become this sort of you know, there was a sort of a sense of community. And in a way, it was a bit like, you know, the old community stores where you could go in and, 
you know, the old general store where it was a place where you wouldn't just go to buy stuff, but you'd go and meet people and hang out and, and learn and, and provide services for each other. And, and that's kind of the sort of where it started and with the idea that we would work in partnership with nature. So we'd always try and produce, um, you know, products that were treading lightly on the planet, um, you know, and do it in a way that was, um, you know, more interesting for, um, for people to understand, you know, how to produce and how to find products that were sustainable, you know, and I do think there's an oxymoron in that. And I'm very honest about that. I always say, look, the idea of producing anything sustainably inside this current system doesn't necessarily um, exist because you can produce something as sustainably as you want. But then if you're sending it halfway around the world to someone to try and to buy and they buy something and then they send it halfway around the world again because they didn't like it back to you, you've kind of negated your sustainability. So I always am very careful to say, you know, it's not what you wear or what you you do, you know, you maybe buy from us, but it's actually what you do as an individual. And what we wanted to do is kind of create an environment where people feel good about themselves. And we could produce products that were beautiful, that had um, an energy in them that allowed people to feel better. And, and when they wore them or use them, so we have clothing, we have goods and apparel, we have um, skincare, we have superfoods, we have, um, you know, all sorts of things. We have, a, we, we make mezcal, we make, um, you know, art, we have a little studio space where we're making furniture and surfboards. And, you know, there's a whole kind of like community of people who have been involved in it as well. We have local people making stuff for us, with friends making stuff for us, um, you know, and the idea was that if you can feel good about yourself, um, then you're more likely to be curious. And if you're more curious, you can start to ask questions. And I think questions are one of the greatest, um, you know, drivers of change. And so it's really trying to build something that is, you know, a place for people to, you know, come and find stories, come and find products, come and find information about how to live a more curious and open lifestyle when it comes to, um, I guess, being, you know, um, a more connected citizen on the planet. Yeah, and I think this goes back to what you were saying earlier about we lose that curiosity when we're um, children. Um, yeah. And now you've kind of brought that back in a whole new way. Yeah, and trying to outfit people for the for a curious lifestyle. So what you'll see, you know, we've only just started, so we're really we're a tiny team with big ambitions with all these things. Um, everything is grounded as I said in, in, in this conversation with nature, we, we have this um, sort of platform that's called Voice for Nature. And the idea is that we can elevate and celebrate nature. I think it's really important for us to replace fear with curiosity. You know, I think we are very afraid to go out there into nature. And maybe that's because we're quite afraid to go and look inside ourselves and see what's really going on. Um, you know, and, there, and that's maybe a mirror, you know, in, in a way. And I think that, you know, the idea of going out there for a lot of people is quite intimidating. And I think if you want to really start to think about how we can protect nature and ourselves, we need to start to recognize, you know, that if we're afraid of it, we're probably not going to connect to it. And if we can't connect to it, we can't feel it. And if we can't feel it, we can't understand it. And if we can't understand it, we certainly can't protect it. And I think for us, it's like, how do we outfit you to go and explore and be curious for the everyday adventure? And I'm not saying you have to go and run up a mountain and plant a flag or sail across an ocean or, you know, do something. <laughs> All the things you do. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, it, you know, I, I always say I'm the unexpected, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't think of myself as that person in a way because I just feel blessed and lucky that I can get to, 
to, to, you know, go on adventures. And I think there's a certain mindset of people who, you know, think that you have to go off on, you know, to the middle of nowhere to have an adventure. And actually, you know, there's, there's this kind of idea that it's way away from us and actually really around us is, is so many mini adventures, you know, and, and, you know, starting a, a new project, going, you know, taking a new route home instead of the same route and, you know, jumping on a, you know, on a bicycle and going for a bike ride with no, no destination in mind, um, you know, going and, and, and foraging your meal in the city, you know, things like that, that are little adventures that actually have a big impact on yourself and on the community around you. And I think those things are really interesting from my standpoint as how we want to start, you know, portraying that kind of living and sharing. And, and, and I think, you know, as I said before, we're, we're very early stage, um, with, um, the Lost Explorer, you'll notice that we say established 2025. Um, so we still have eight years to go before we get to where I think <laughs> we can actually say that we've established because we're still trying to figure out, you know, how, how, how do you take a company and make it more a community, somewhere where people can actually, um, you know, belong and not just be a, a one-way conversation around commerce, but actually be a two-way conversation about connection and about how to be, part of something that's bigger than yourself and I think that's really important um, in this day and age as I said as we become more hyper connected and more hyper fragmented at the same time um, you know we're missing these connections and these threads and um, I think that's something that we're trying to you know at least in our own little world put in place and, and see how that unfolds. Curious to see where this goes. Yeah me too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're, we're actually almost out of time. We have like two minutes left. So if you have any last words of wisdom or message you'd like to share with um, our listeners today before we say goodbye. Yeah, I mean, I guess just to, you know, remain curious. I mean, I think that's the thing. We're all born explorers. And, um, you know, the moment we're told not to touch something or taste something or feel something, it was born out of us. And, and, and I, I think, you know, for me, the idea of, um, you know, I call it the equation of curiosity. I go, you know, dreams are the breeding grounds for adventures. Adventures are the breeding grounds for stories, and stories inspire more dreams. And that whole equation is, is, is charged by asking questions. And so the moment you have an idea in your head or you dream up a scheme or you think about something and you're curious about it, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? I might want to start this. The moment you share it with a friend or, your, you know, yourself or you write it down or you take it from your mind to a physical state, your adventure has begun. And now you're generating stories and those stories can be shared um, with your friends and your community. And those stories will inspire others to ask questions and dream and be curious. And so I would say just continue to be curious and, and keep on dreaming, keep on having adventures and keep on sharing stories. And thank you for sharing my story. Oh, my pleasure. And before we say goodbye, so I can do this in public, um, thank you for <laughs> writing a quote for my book. That was much appreciated. Wow. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad to be part of it, and, and it's an honor always to, you know, to, to get asked to do anything like that. I'm like, thank you for uh, thanking me to write the quote. So I appreciate yeah. it. And thanks, thanks for being on. And yeah, we'll we'll put you back on in eight years and see. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much, Heather. Okay. Take care, Enjoy David. Day. Thanks, and bye. 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 So thank you, David Rothschild, for coming on my show today. I hope everyone got a lot out of it. And you can check out thelostexplorer.com for more information. They have a great magazine, seen articles there, and some great products as well. 
Um, stay tuned for my show coming up in January. My next one is with Nathan Runkle, the founder of Mercy for Animals. That should be a great episode. And also I have an episode with Kathy Freston of Clean Protein coming up. If you have any questions for me or would like to schedule a phone consultation, please contact me at info at livenaturallivewell.com. You can find out more about what I do at livenaturallivewell.com and definitely check out my book and you can see David's quote in there, Fix Your Mood with Food. I hope you have a great, curious day and happy holidays to everybody.